Good morning, ladies. Let's see what God has for us in the Spirit-inspired Psalm of David. Each and every verse is a treasure on which to ponder and rest. Here David has shared his heart, cried out his wants and fears, and then he finds comfort in who God really is. David ends with a return to prayer and a joyful praise of his awesome and powerful God. He anticipates Jesus' divine intervention and future kingdom rule. We will have a chance to sense the desperation David felt, then see his transition from fear and begging for rescue to comfort in the promises of God. This brings hope and praise. This psalm may express how we too may feel when oppressed, although much of this psalm has been uniquely applied to Christ by the New Testament writers. So let's begin. Verse 1, for the choir director, according to Shushan, a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. Shushan is a song called the lilies. So this was sung to God at the time of David. Okay. You ladies can all rest in the fact that I will not be singing any of this. In this psalm, David is asking for rescue from the waters, translated dangers surrounding him to the point of drowning or death. Verse 2. I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. Here David says he's in mire. He feels like he is in quicksand, unable to stay afloat as he could as if he was in water. He felt like he was sinking into the abyss. How frightening. S similar to Peter when he started to sink into the water, when he was walking on the water but was saved by the hand of God. David too was looking for the hand of God to save him from impending death. Here we see Jesus as he cried out to his father on the cross as a water filled his lungs. He was drowning in the abyss of death. As with David, a death not deserved. Verse 3. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. David is physically weary for crawling out to God, crying out in fear and waiting for an answer. Can you see that David did not lose faith in the fact that God would hear his pleading? He was just waiting for an answer in God's time. In the sa at the same time, we see Jesus physically weary from a night of praying so fervently that he was sweating blood. How dry he must have been after being beaten, whipped, mocked, then told to carry a cross, a cross of our sins, up to the place of death hanging in the sun, slowly dying of dehydration while his lungs filled with the only fluid left. His eyes fail as he waits for God to accept his sacrifice and think it was all for us. How deep, it was, how deep was God's love to endure such pain and suffering? We need at times to learn to cry out to God until our throat is dry and our eyes are dim yet believing he hears and he answers. Where David cries out, I wait for my God, the Lord cries out, it is finished. 
We cry out in faith, waiting on God's response. Jesus cries out in power and controls the timing. How awesome is our God. Verse 4. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. David has many enemies that sought after him, Saul being one. He was even being pursued by his son Absalom. These were powerful people. David cries out that it was bad enough that he was being sought after, but worse was the fact that he was innocent of the charges being made. Jesus likewise was pursued by many. All the ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical and military of the country were against him. The Sanhedrin, the mob, the Roman government itself wanted his destruction. To add insult to injury, both Jesus and David were to supply restoration for that which was lost. David was responsible to Saul and Jesus to God. We see the fulfillment of this clearly in John 15, verses 24 to 25. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus, though sinless, restored our fellowship with God by being the ransom for our sins. It reminds us again that we are unable to gain salvation by any work of our own strength. Only the sinless can restore the sinful. Verses 5 to 7. O oh God, it is you who knows my folly, and my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, dishonor has covered my face. Verse 5 applies, this verse 5 applies to David, whose sins are not hidden from God. Jesus was sinless. In verse 6, D David fears that these very sins may be a stumbling block to others who seek and wait for the Lord. Jesus' life was a stumbling block to unbelievers, as stated in Isaiah 8.4. But his life was definitely not a stumbling block to any of those truly seeking the Father by faith. For it is only through him that we can find the Father and eternal life. Verse 7 gives us the why for Christ's suffering and reproach. God's will for God's glory. Jesus found comfort in this. He is indeed the truth, the way, and the light. Verse 8. I have become estranged from my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. David was estranged from his subjects, his family, and his uh, friends. Even his own son sought to kill him. David cries out in loneliness. These same verses were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Jesus called the disciples his brother, his brothers. One sold him, one denied him, 
and all fled in fear at his capture and death. John 7, 3-5 tells us that there was a time in, when Jesus' family arrived to take him back home. They had yet to accept his ministry and they sought to protect him from the harm of the angry crowds. Many thought him to be demon-possessed. Others sought his life. Can we, we can look at them and say, how could you not see? How could you not remain faithful? Well, how well have you followed him in times of trials? Have you ever sold him out? Ever denied him by persistent obedience? How about fleeing in fear rather than running to him for shelter and safety? Again, only the sinless can restore sinful. Verse 9, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. David brought on the hatred and the hostility of others by his unyielding insistence of obedience to people claiming their devotion to God. He felt his zeal should be their zeal. And when they failed by dishonoring God, he felt the pain of their failure. He was a man after God's own heart. Jesus had a strong zeal that, was, that God's house was to be loved and given the respect it deserved. It was God's house. Twice he rebuked, with righteous anger, those causing the house of God to become, in his words, a house of commerce. John 2, verses 16 to 17. To those who were selling doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my house a place of business. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Verse 9b is quoted in Romans 15, verse 3. For even Christ did not place himself, please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Christ's ultimate purpose was to please God and not to please himself. He was to accomplish the Father's will, and this meant that the reproaches, the slander, the false accusations fell on him. He, men hate God. Because of this, they hated the perfect Son of God. As believers, can we expect any less? The reproaches of men fell on his shoulders. The world still hates God. And since they no longer can get to him, its reproaches will fall on us. How strong will you be in that fight? Remember, he has given you an armor of protection. His word as your sword. Put it on, first thing, every day. Verse 10. When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. A commenter stated, Behold here, virtue is accounted as vice. Truth becomes blasphemy. Wisdom, folly, and the fulfiller of the law, a breaker of the law. Jesus spent many hours praying and fasting. Everything he did was ridiculed. He was even called a servant of the devil when he did miraculous healings. Verse 11. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. David did wear sackcloth, but no one that I found in my references has ever found evidence that Jesus did. Although spiritually in his grief, Jesus was a sackcloth wearer. Grief, not for himself, but for us. 
His communing with the Father was done mostly in private, and he was made a byword or a proverb. This word carries a reflection of disgrace. The next verse tells us how that was happening. Verse 12, those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of drunkards. There is a difference in opinion and understanding who was at the gate. Many believe it meant magistrates or leaders, but other believe, others believe it means beggars, better to fit with the next line, talking of drunkards. David's referral to the song of drunkards is today's tabloid news that becomes jokes for late night TV. As Solomon states in Proverbs, there is nothing new under the sun. Both David and Jesus and all they had done were still the objects of ridicule. Verses 13, 14, and 15. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink, that I may be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. May the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up nor the pit shut its mouth on me. In these verses, David expands his original pleas as seen in verses 1 to 3. Again, feeling like he's drowning, both Jesus and David cry out to the only one who can help them, their loving, merciful Father. David cries out to God, seeking relief from both his enemies and his, the grief that he felt. Jesus cries out to God in bo at both Gethsemane and on the cross, asking for God to deliver him from the hands of his enemies and then the acceptance of the sacrifice offered. Both cried out for an answer in God's will and on his time frame. How many of you are stuck in the mire of this world and need to cry out to God as the only answer? Seek him. Seek him in his word. Seek his comfort as David did in the Psalms. Verses 16, 17, and 18. Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good according to the greatness of your compassion. Turn to me and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Oh, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me from my enemies. David prays as we should pray praying the attributes of God. He talks of God's loving kindness and compassion. David is seeking just those things, a compassion for his current situation and loving kindness to remove or change it. As one scholar put it, it is the gall of bitterness to be without the comfortable smile of God. In the Lord's case, his grief culminated in Laba Thabakthani, and his bitterest cry was that in which he mourned in, in which he mourned an absent God. It is said that one smile from heaven can still the rages of hell. In verse 17 and 18, we hear David plead with God not to hide his face. David believed that even though the temple had a veil to separate his holy, the holy of holies. Through faith, he had direct access to God in his prayers. He begs God to see what was happening and answer his prayer of intercession. 
we too as believers now have direct access to God in prayer. Use it often. Verses 19, 20, and 21. You know my reproach and my shame, my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am so sick. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. In these verses, these verses share the sufferings of both Jesus and David. The words reproach, shame, and dishonor are three words to express the contempt felt by both. David, as he ran and hid for fear of his life, and Jesus, as he hung on that cross. Both longed for help and found none. But a couple of our Lord's family and disciples, all but a couple of them, had deserted him. Jesus felt the loss of communion with and the justifiable anger of his father as he bore the weight of sin so indescribable. He did that all for us, for you and for me. Again, how great is our God. Verse 21 talks of the gall Jesus was given before he was hung on the cross in Mark 15:23. Gall or myrrh was a bitter herb that had some properties of anesthesia, although some believe that gall is a metaphor for betrayal. Jesus, wanting to fully bear his load and be in control of his situation, declined. The vinegar speaks of sour wine. He was given on the cross, and after that he said, when he said, I thirst, John 19, 28-29. Perhaps it was sour wine because sweet wine was the drinks of kings. Jesus proclaimed to be a king. Vinegar was the drink of slaves. How it must burn those parched, dry, cracked, and bleeding lips. Verses 22 to 28. May their table before them become a snare, and when they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes grow dim so they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation on them, and may your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate, may none dwell in their tents. For they have persecuted him who you yourself have smitten, and they tell of their pain of those who you have wounded. Add iniquity to iniquity, and may they not come into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. In these verses, David cries out an imprecatory prayer. He is bleeding for, pleading for God's action in the destruction of his enemies. David was not calling out revenge for himself, but he was calling out for justice due to the reproach of a just, holy, omnipotent, and infinite God. In verses 22 and 23, David asks that the Jews' table of abundance or prosperity become a snare to them. The very thing that gives them peace and security, David wants God to count as retribution against them. Here we see what happened to the Jews is likened to what happened to Jesus. The, Jew, 
gave Jesus gall as food and vinegar as drink, and their own spiritual food and drink has too become their snare. His eyes were blindfolded, theirs were darkened. His loins were scourged, their loins shake uncontrollably at the cost of their sin. These same verses are quoted in Romans 11, verses 9 and 10. In verse 24, David asks that God pour out his divine wrath to show the abundance of his anger. This shows sudden, overwhelming judgment like the pouring out of a vessel. God has been patient long enough in asking the Jews to repent and to change. Verse 25 increases the depths of this request. Here there are some differing opinions. First, that he wants them not only to be without a home, but that he would have them die without an heir since their tent would be empty or gone. It can also refer to the temple that was desolate after God left. It may be prophecy. It also may be prophecy of the final judgment of the Lord when he returns and all will be laid waste. In searching the scriptures, this has, has either has been or will be ultimately fulfilled. Verse 26 and 27 tells us how God's, David's enemies were used in his plight as basis for adding more grief. Their taunts were based on their belief David was suffering from God's chastisement. There was no one who came beside him to help, no one to console him. With Job, he had three friends and a wife that told him the same thing. You realize, remember how helpful they were. It's all due to God's judgment. With Jesus, the mocking and the merciless taunting had just added to his unbearable suffering. Few stayed with him. Less really even cared. The suffering of the Messiah was part of God's plan from the beginning, as also referenced in Isaiah 53, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 27 calls for sin to be added to sin and punishment to punishment. It is the most severe imprecation or prophecy of all. Man is quite sinful enough, but to add more sin to their sin for judgment, now that's serious. He even adds to that, ver to that in verse 28, May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. David is praying that when all, all the evil men die, that they be blotted out, that after they are blotted out by death, that they long, no longer be held in esteem. They will be remembered for the men they really are. For Jesus, it was the same. Judas, Herod, Pilate, Caiaphas, they're all remembered for who they were and not how they wanted to be seen or remembered. David then prays that their names never be added to the book of life. He wants them forgotten in death and in death punished as they so deserve for the sins against a holy God. Wow. Justice on earth and beyond. This verse may seem like it means a lot to blot them out of the book of life as if they were already there. But it does not infer that. It says that they were never in it in the first place. 
and will be held accountable for their sins past the earthly blotting out by death. Once you are in the book of life, you are protected from that happening. Jesus repeatedly states that nothing can remove you from his Father's hand. With that marvelous thought, we are now to proceed to the last eight verses of Psalm 69. David changes from pleading for God's hand of mercy and judgment to praising an awesome God. But I am afflicted and in pain. May your salvation, O God, set me securely on high. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And I will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your heart revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his who are, his, who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell in it. In the final verses, Matthew Henry states, The psalmist here, both as a type of Christ and as an example to Christian, concludes that this song, with holy joy and praise, which he began with complaints of grief. In verses 29 to 31, it tells us that David was suffering, but that in his suffering he held tightly to his faith in God. He believed in who and what God is. David believed his prayer was heard and that God would answer and lift him up. His faith gave him hope. That is definitely a reason for praise. No man before or since David has suffered as Jesus did. His sorrowful cry from the cross was heard by his father. His sacrifice on the cross was accepted and he was lifted up to sit at the right hand of God forever. How great the praising of God after the resurrection. How thankful are all we that believe that as stated in verse 31, that that sacrifice was better, better than any or all sacrifices of bull or ox. Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. It was the perfect, sinless Son of God, bearing all sin as ransom for our sin. He now acts as a perfect priest to intercede to the Father on our behalf. How strong that praise must be in the heavens. Verses 32 and 33, again, are words of praise and thanksgiving for the hope our faith provides. The grace of salvation has been secured and the humble will see hope and be glad. God will provide for the faithful and he will search out and find the wayward to bring them back to his flock. To those that the world to those that the worldly rarely acknowledges, much less values, it is reason for joy. God can see the heart of the humble, sincere man and will lift him up. 
In verse 34, David acknowledges God as creator. He calls out for everything from the lowest depths to the highest heights to praise his awesome God. We are told that if there is no praise from us, that creation itself will cry out. God ends this psalm in verses 35 and 36 with the prophetic words of Jesus' return. A return in a kingdom for Israel, his chosen people, and his bride, the church. God has promised Israel through the covenant with Abraham that they will live in the promised land. It also mentions that all who believe will live there too. David ends this psalm acknowledging that the fact with the fact that the faithful will live with him forever. This is to the Father's glory that we live praising him for all he is. David goes from the depths of sorrow to the heights of praise in this song. Now let us see the glory of God in a Puritan prayer called the Valley of Vision. Let us pray. Lord, God high and holy, meek and lowly, Thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but I see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by the mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear a crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, my life in my death my joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.